Yeah, I can hear you fine, man. Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we just jump in? Sure. And I'll edit it later. So, right So thanks, man. Mm. Life, the universe, and Dan. Pleasure, Maxie. Great to be here. Great to see you, mate. It's um, yeah, it's been a while. Like, let's let's start off. Let's let's make it a bit easier for us both. Yeah. What have you been doing? Tell well, us. yeah, I'm um, in rural. Uh, rural. That's a mouthful <laughs> to start off. Make it nice and easy for myself. Mm. Uh, Victoria, mm. um, with my partner Kayla, we're um, cannabis farming at the moment. Yeah, medicinal cannabis industry. Um, yeah, been out there for about six six months. Um, yeah, so living the uh, quiet country life, really, like working long hours, um, hard work, you know, plowing the fields. Like before we, uh, we've just been on holidays actually the last five weeks and before that it was um, back-to-back days of shoveling and uh, ploughing by hand using the rotary hoe. Um, oh, literally? Yeah, man, I thought literally. you had a euphemism for yeah, <laughs> ploughing the field. Yeah, yeah. Quite literally. Literally. Um, yeah, it's pretty funny. One of the guys had the uh, rotary hoe and he's like, it's not going fast enough. So he cable tied the accelerator. So it was absolutely pump in and you're like it's like holding back a brumby or something trying to control it um but yeah rips the garden beds up pretty quickly so shit yeah um yeah so that's uh i guess work life and um yeah context of where i'm living at the moment but why 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 the cannabis farm what was that about well to be honest i um Moved out there for, for love, I guess. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> As you do, you do these things. It certainly wasn't really on my um, radar, but um, Kayla, yeah, got a job out there. And she's into, um, yeah, medicinal herbs and wants to get into manufacturing and working with uh, medicinal herbs. And one of the, yeah, cannabis, I guess, um, is sort of the the new frontier in mm. medicinal herbs in a lot of ways. So, um, yeah, she got that job and I we were living apart for a while and both just like this sucks. So I um, got a job out there as well. And, yeah, I actually find it really fascinating. Like, mm. um, as we both have a, a shared history of uh, partaking in <laughs> cannabis, <laughs> it's like... Without sounding like too much of a stoner, it's a um, it's quite a yeah, a wonderful plant. I reckon, yeah. like, um, yeah, just the way I don't know, like, I guess I found it's opened uh, my perspective and uh, doors in life. Whether that would have happened anyway, but regardless, it happened with uh, with cannabis. So to um work with it and grow it now is pretty cool like it's a bit of a spin out being like when I first walked into the farm just the smell of it like wall-to-wall cannabis um probably tens of thousands of plants Seriously. yeah and it's just like inside these walls it's you know it's um completely legal and um yeah you're just touching it dealing with it all day and then you go outside and it's like you could be um potentially arrested for carrying the most um, minuscule amount so it's um yeah it's quite weird in a way because they're very 
strict with good reason on mm. um, taking any of the products mm. out or anything. But I guess when you have a history of using it, um, it seems pretty funny how um, over the top they are and strict. Like they've literally fired people for smoking a joint like at a work function outside of work. So There's a little irony in that, a bit of poetic irony. In that. You <laughs> work on a, a weed farm and then you smoke a joint and you get fired. And you get fired. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty funny. That's, pr- that's um, probably fair enough though, knowing a little bit about I guess the the regulations around marijuana and what they're trying to do, yeah, the medi- sure. the medicalization of it. It's it's been a big process for for a lot of people. But, but does does Kayla right? Is that yeah, yeah. Kayla? Yeah. Does she have a background in in horticulture? Or um, uh, a little bit. Yeah, she's sort of got into it recently. I think um, she was particularly interested. Um, her dad had um, brain cancer about ten years ago, and unfortunately passed from that um and her and her brother um i think sourced cannabis for him while he was in hospital and they found it really helpful for him like his mood um elevated significantly and he was able to eat more and just have a better quality of life um yeah so i guess for her there was a bit of you know history there of it and um she's studying western herbal medicine Mm. um yeah so i guess that's sort of her background and i've had a fair bit of a background in horticulture um vegetable farming for many years after school and um working at a garden and yeah i just love being outdoors and something satisfying about growing and um yeah growing anything really seeing things grow and yeah. And vegetable farming, do you mean working with the blends at Karawong? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I I like to call myself a vegetable farmer, but really I was just, you know, the shit kicker. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we've done a few a few hours out there That'd together, Maxi. Yeah, I've sh- I, yeah. I, my first experience with the blends farm was, yeah, when I left school. Yeah. Doing, I think, yeah, if you talk about shit kicking, I think you mean chipping. Well, <laughs> using a little hoe and yeah. going up and down hundreds of rows, cleaning out the weeds between cauliflower and broccoli plants. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you're at least not using your foot, but uh, <laughs> a, uh, an ancient tool to yeah. do it. But um, yeah, it's a good experience. I remember one particular job, uh, weeding garlic by hand was hands and knees um, type stuff for a couple of weeks there. In, the, in the summer? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was late summer, so yeah. it wasn't. The weather wasn't too bad, but um, yeah, just crawling around basically, pulling, <laughs> pulling weeds out. <laughs> Something uh, pretty humbling about it, I reckon, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I was just thinking that it's a, manual work like that is is very humbling, and there's something almost meditative about about uh, sitting in a paddock for eight hours in a day, pulling out little plants to let other plants grow. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's like these plants bad, we want to get rid of them. Yeah. These plants good, but it's good. Yeah. yeah a little morality um but mm. just going back to a question before just before we move on you yeah said sourced um did i guess back then when kayla's d- dad was going through that did, yeah did they have to source they, they couldn't source that through sort of legal medical needs back then hey yeah no yeah that would have been what i think about 10 years ago so yeah i guess um i'm not sure exactly where they got it but um yeah probably just 
black market some mm. somehow. Um, yeah, my mum's since in the last few years she's used uh, medicinal THC and CBD. Um, it didn't really work for her, unfortunately, but um, it is yeah, just in the t- space of ten years, I guess it's changed a lot for people in terms of being able to source it. Um, it's it's quite interesting because from my perspective, the uh, the market, as we call it at work, who were diligently preparing beautifully trimmed and uh, fragrant aromatic buds, um, the market, as I see it, is still like dominated by you know seasoned stoners, yeah, who just want the strongest, yeah. most beautiful looking weed they can get, yeah. Which like seems pretty uh, um, antithetical to a, a medicine when like most medicines are just like a, a round white pill. Like it doesn't get much more basic than that. So it's kind of funny that we're growing it for a medicinal market, but the market is mainly um, just seasoned smokers who are looking for a, a uh, an easier route, I guess, to, to get in the, the stuff. Yeah, look, it's it. There's a it's a complex situation. In my own experience, look, I think there are. You know, I, I don't I don't smoke. I've been coming up for two years since I had had a joint. Yeah, I have no judgment to anyone who uses it because, in a way, I really needed it at the time and mm. it served a great purpose. Um, yeah, but I think the challenge with it being, in my experience, for it being illegal was that what, what me ser- searching it, sorry, seeking it through use your term black market means yeah i had no idea what i was using and yeah. as it became more of an addiction rather than a medica- medication i just started smoking stronger and stronger weed and it wasn't really having that effect and you don't have the i guess you don't have the guidance of of anyone in that mm. situation you know self-medication you know might help in the first few months or the first few years but after a while when you don't have that support you know it was it was a challenging experience to realize that yeah i Probably shouldn't smoke anymore. Waking up at five AM is not a good idea and having a joint when you're trying to get on with your life. But it, it did definitely help me. So I think it's mm. I'm, I'm glad it's changing in the way it's changing. I've been watching it happen. Mm. I think they're opening a dispensary in Newtown soon. Yeah, yeah. Um Tobes is saying that. Yeah. The other day actually. And yeah, f- there's a lot of yeah, I agree, Maxi, like um I found personally as well, like the there was a real lag between um of the first few years of like using it quite heavily and really enjoying it and then noticing it um it wasn't like that beneficial for me anymore and probably just creating more anxiety than it might have taken away and it there was quite a lag between um realizing that and then actually doing anything about it i.e like not smoking <laughs> so much uh, it's taken me like quite a few years to to work out that balance or like I've worked it out but then to actually put it into practice and now like smoke very occasionally and very small doses and it's much more yeah beneficial there's a quote from um, Alan Watts that I like to um remember and whilst weed cannabis isn't like a classic psychedelic i think mm. it has those properties and he he would say like psychedelics are a medicine not a diet 
mm. which is pretty yeah. <laughs> pretty funny. Good on him. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think I've managed to um, grasp that and put it into practice. That's a an, that's a challenging thing to to put into practice. I I know from my own experience. Yeah, I chose the the, the abstinence path. Mm. I, I got out of it what I needed to. Um, so power to you for for being able to to find some sort of sort of equanimity with it, because it's not an easy thing to to find a balance, um, especially when it has such an addictive sort of mm. side on it. So that's that's really cool. Yeah, thanks, mate. I find it as equally um, impressive, if that's the right word to uh, to abstain completely as well. Like that's a very hard thing to do, and uh, yeah, very proud of how you've handled that. Oh, yourself, Max. It's Thanks, man. Um, yeah, yeah. It's been really a cool. it's been a journey. It's been a trip <laughs> to <laughs> yeah. use that term. <laughs> I can tell you, I always thought that I was like naturally. I thought I was my behavior was because I was smoking weed all the time. But I'm just a, I'm just naturally a tripper. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. been two years, and I'm still my behavior is somewhat similar if I'm high or not. So it's yeah. uh, it's been a funny thing to observe over the last little while. Um, but that's really cool. I um, so you guys are down there. You and Kyla are down there. You've been down there for how long? Um. I've been there since Feb this year, Kayla slightly a few months before that. Um, so we've kind of done a whole season. Uh, it's the off season now and then I think we'll do another year out there and sort of reevaluate, um, yeah, what we want to do. Like I really like working in the industry. Um, I find it really fascinating um, because I think one thing with the – what we're growing, we're just growing it for the highest THC content, mm. um, which doesn't necessarily equate with good medicine from what I've, like, researched, especially, like, people like my mum who has, like, cognitive um, impairment and she's taking high THC content. Um, and it's, like, combination of cognitive impairment with uh, mental impairment from the psychoactive mm. content. It's, like wasn't a good mix for her um but i feel like there's a balance there that could be could be reached in terms of the um pain relieving aspects of it whilst not um a psychoactive mm. yeah. and when, when you mean by balance do you mean what i understand the, the ratio between thc and cbd like if you're just maximizing thc the ratio that gets lower, like the THC ratio gets lower and lower. Yeah. Well, sorry, there's the, the CBD amount to THC amount gets lower and lower, and the CBD has the sort of anti-psychoactive properties which can help balance some of those, yeah, yeah that's stronger right. side effects. Yeah, that's right. And some uh, something interesting I read is like depending on the ratio, like even if it's like, so it's like a two-to-one ratio of THC to CBD, the CBD, whilst it generally is like anti-psychotic, it could actually... Um, it could actually increase the psychoactive content. It's like you need a you need a larger ratio, like depending on the ratio, say like four to one CBD to THC, then it it could um yeah be more effective at doing that. But like honestly, it seems like there's a lot of research that um it's still to be done because there's a lot of yeah questions, and I don't think anyone at least from what I've read, seems to know exactly what what a good ratio is. Mm. And so, yeah, it's quite uh, quite interesting, I think. That's really cool. And I, I'm, I'm glad that 
that someone's looking at it from that perspective because I, I think, yeah, so often it's – well, I guess the market is determined by supply and demand and sure the recreational user is always going always to be the biggest demand but I think if it's going to have a place in society, yeah, it needs to be looked at from a, from a medical perspective and I've always known that, you know, I've, I think I've smoked some weeds that – some weeds, some cannabis that would have <laughs> like a ratio of 100 to 1 to THC yeah. where there's just no CBD and it's just an insane amount of – of THC, yeah, and I can tell you from experience that does not help them. That does not help you on a medical side. That, no. That's just getting you blitzkrieg, <laughs> as we would call it. <laughs> Absolutely blitzkrieg. Yeah, which you know it had its place as well in the that's past. That's right. Yeah, we're in a different place. Um, but also, I think another thing that I'm interested in, and something we've spoken about a bit on text, um, but in your own ex- in your own your own, I guess, practice with yeah, is med- meditation, and, and you've done a bit of meditation. Yeah. Um, and you've been to the Vipassana in Blackheath? Yeah, yeah. Did the Vipassana, um, I think at the start of 2020, actually. Um, yeah, and that kind of was a bit of a culmination of, like, um, studying and learning about meditation. Like, it's always been something I've heard about or read about and has, like, quite a mystical mm. aura to it. And... I remember um, one of my old housemates in Wollongong, Oscar, he um, he was, when he moved in, he was quite into his meditation and I remember talking to him about it and he was trying to describe it to me and I remember being like, um, we're talking about the thoughts aspect to it, of it and about, I guess, how you relate to your thoughts and I remember thinking like, I really like thinking and uh <laughs> i think that's like uh like i had this idea that it would be just like no thinking at all i'm like that sounds yeah <laughs> sounds interesting but uh you know i'm pretty happy thinking <laughs> over here so yeah not quite ready for that yet but um yeah at that time it was a uh, kind of ties into cannabis quite nicely actually i was probably smoking a lot more than was good for me Mm. um and i knew that but i guess the um environment i was in it was all around and i had all these great memories of smoking and just having a an awesome time and feeling free and imaginative and creative and i was like um i i don't want to lose all that so i kept you know doing it quite regularly and then I had like pretty high anxiety levels. Um, I was having, had a couple of like quite heavy panic attacks at the time and um, sort of that was a bit of a trigger to be like, all right, I need to like A, ease off on doing that. Um, Get some, I guess, therapy. I found a really good psychologist uh, down there in Wollongong who was really helpful and at the same time I started dipping my toes into the uh, meditation mm-hmm. world just through Headspace, the app, which I really, really enjoy and I think if anyone is looking to get started, I found that a really beautiful mm. and easy way to sort of dip your toes in into the water. Um, yeah, and then so I guess leading into Vipassana and I can credit um, Kayla here again with um, opening this world to me. She was like, oh, I've been wanting to do this 10-day meditation retreat. Um, 
you know, do you want to do it? I was like, sure, sounds great. You know, I had very idyllic uh, imagery in my <laughs> mind of <laughs> what it's going to be like. And I know you've uh, got a Vipassana coming up, Max, so I won't, uh, you know, break that uh, spell for you yeah, if you've yeah. got the same ideas. But, um, yeah, it was quite uh, quite the opposite. But, um, yeah, such a such an amazing experience which i must say during during it um pretty much every day i would be like all right i'm leaving (laughs) (laughs) i'm going home like um i can only imagine yeah man i was like no i can't do this like i i was like convinced i was going crazy like i'm like first of all i'm not getting enough sleep 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 deprived you know that's a that's a big no-no that's gonna lead straight to uh schizophrenia (laughs) (laughs) Uh, catastrophizing already yeah big time man and like playing into some like fears i've had in my life of like developing a severe like mental illness (laughs) Mm, um sure yeah like so every day i was like all right i can't do this anymore and then they talk about um aditiano which is uh strong determination Mm -hmm. and you need a strong determination to um to get through it and i guess that sort of that side of me um that was like come on like you can do this sort of thing like just get through the next session have a shower have dinner and by the end of like every day i'd i'd be like all right i'm like feeling feeling pretty good i can do this again and it was just like that every day like a a fluctuation between thinking I'm going crazy, better go home, and then change into, like, all right, just, like, just focus on the next thing, have a shower, you know, just basic, basic things. Um, Yeah, it was uh, a a crazy, beautiful experience, and, um, yeah, it's uh, really, I guess, stuck with me to the point where, like, I... I'll try to practice Vipassana um, ideally daily, mm. um, but, you know, we're not perfect, so um, whenever I can, I do it. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, definitely changed my life. Like, not just that Vipassana in particular, but learning to meditate and to practice, mm-hmm. is, uh, I would say, has definitely uh, changed my life for the, for the better. Um so far so far <laughs> hey we're, we're only in this moment we can only get till today um, yeah <laughs> but on that though because i guess the point of the point of the 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 talk the, the podcast in, in in one way yeah is to talk about life and the universe and but in mostly is in dan and, and we, sh- we share we share an experience there and for anyone who doesn't know um so dan's my brother um he was my younger brother um five years younger than me but he's also one of Dan's uh, one of Huey's uh, well I guess you, he's one of the four right of your, the closest mates so there's sort of well there's a bunch of you but there's yeah there's a there's a little crew a little clique um there's four of you and Dan you and Dan have been close for so how so w- when did you get to All Saints All Saints was the school we all went to in, in Bathurst yeah. um, central west of New South Wales near Sydney and you went to All Saints there with is that where you met Dan yeah that's where I met Dan I Dan what Dan started what primary school in 
all since like year four or five, did he? Or oh, I think a bit earlier than that, actually. Yeah, okay. yeah. I because I st- I would have started. Well, I would have started. I started in <laughs> year seven. Yeah. Because um, I was at Meadow Flat Public School, little little school in the country, and then we moved. Mum and Dad moved us into town because it was just too far to travel every day. I think Dan tried a little bit at Bathurst Public. Yeah, okay. down the road from where we were. That's right. And he, um, I think he found that to be. Just looking back, I think yeah, it was terrible for him. It wasn't the right space. And mum no. and dad took Katie and Dan out of that and put him put them in junior school. So I think, but if I'm year seven, he's five years younger. I can't really do the math in my head right now, but yeah. <laughs> he probably was like five or six. I reckon it's more like year one or two. Okay, yeah. So pretty early on. Because yeah. I do have like th- some memories. Like I was at a Catholic primary school and would occasionally have like sport or um, I remember playing Tobes in chess. <laughs> in chess <laughs> in chess yeah and like going to all saints and um and a Phoebe who's another old friend of ours um and i kind of have a memory of like this chubby redhead kid <laughs> <laughs> in primary school who would have been dan but yeah definitely high school um got to know dan um and like to be honest we were we were friends um but you know we weren't super close um like, yeah, I think, um, yeah, good friends, but, you know, nothing like sort of the, the brothers, I guess, we became later. And it wasn't until um, probably a year or two after um, after leaving school okay, yeah. that um, Dan and I became really close when he moved in with Tobes and I mm. up at um, Bellevue Hill there. And, um, yeah, man, I some of the best memories, like it's kind of like a, a golden period in my life like a look back on it it's got a sepia afternoon tinge on it i like that <laughs> image that's great yeah just yeah just such a good time and um many memories of climbing uh fig trees over in uh cooper no not cooper is bellevue, it bellevue? bellevue hill park yeah, yeah yeah i'm pretty sure i've climbed a few fig trees with you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah how good was that man um and yeah that's one of the many things I loved about Dan is like sense of adventure and like I feel like him and I and you as well we would all kind of spur each other on to to push push ourselves like that little bit further uh in this case up the tree up the tree yeah yeah um yes yeah, so man really whatever year that was doesn't really matter no. um in the last 10 years yeah, the last ten years and formed such a a close close bond, um, living together and yeah. One memory I have of Dan, this is outside of that time, maybe a year or two later, he was living in the mountains and um I was living in Bathurst and we came up with uh Dukes and um Dukes and I came up I think it was one of our birthdays, maybe even Dan's birthday. And, like, we've come up from Bathurst, which is a pretty cold place. The mountains as well, you know, arguably just as if not cold iron. Yeah. We're, like, rugged up, you know, jeans, jackets, jumpers, whatever. We get get to um, Let Street and, uh, you know, come around the side and Dan's just sitting out in the, the backyard with shorts and a T-shirt, no shoes or socks on, just, like, like I swear he would just thrive in that yeah. cold weather and trying to expose as much skin as he could. Um, yeah, he had 
the most bizarre pain threshold I think I've ever met of any human. I, he just there was no there was no pain. Um, yeah, from which I've learned in the later years that that was actually a an, uh, a byproduct of his his liver liver dis- dysfunction. Yeah, okay. He um, I didn't really like. He, I'm sure you experienced this as well with Dan. He didn't talk about his health. No. At all. No. About himself at all, really. Yeah. That's one thing I loved about Dan is he didn't talk about himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Almost, and I guess later, like, as his life developed, maybe he talked less and less in mm. some ways, which, you know, is probably as the pain, emotional pain or whatever, um, potentially got harder for him to deal with it seemed unfortunately it was harder for him to to talk to to friends and family i don't know if you found that as well like yeah look dan dan didn't talk to me about his health or about how he was going he did a little bit on you know what was happening and what he was was doing and how he was feeling but I, i think Knowing Dan as well as I did, one of the reasons why he didn't talk about his health was because of the experience we had with Dad. Yeah. Um, and for again, for you know, I'm sure you were aware of that. You spent some time with the family over the years, but Dad yeah, had an sure. autoimmune disorder, um, inclusion body myositis, which was like a essentially his his auto his immune system rejected his his primary muscle function, so he essentially was quite heavily dependent on care. And I know. If, that Dan caught the brunt of that in, at times. Um, I don't know exactly, and I guess that's where a fun conversation with my mum will happen, but I know there were times when Dan actually had to, like he was 11 or 12 and had to help Dad in some pretty tricky situations um, yeah, right. around bathrooms and showers, which can be, you know, I can't even imagine it as an adult or a carer. And I know you've done some caring work, so you know what it's like, but as a young 12 year old yeah. helping their father so i think i think there's a there's an element of dan stoicness you could call it stoicness mm. might it might be a bit of avoidance and he didn't want to burden us with mm. it was his journey you know we've, i've had to i'm sure you've had to accept that with his yeah. his path um i have a lot of admiration for it in one way but I, i'm i'm wondering though yeah what was it like for you as, as a friend to to sort of to know that someone's in pain but not be able to kind of relate to them? Yeah. Um, it's a good question. Like, I guess um, it was definitely clear that Dan was, um, I, I, well, like we've said, I don't know exactly um, how he felt because he didn't really share it, but it was pretty clear just through his kind of avoidance of, um, talking to friends like there was a stage where we sort of lost contact with Dan for quite a while and mm. um, basically just had to rock up to the house to see him and um, and like when you're there like you all of a sudden you're just hanging out and you're you like we didn't really talk about it at all like it was more like oh we're here now hanging out let's not make a big deal of the fact that like Dan wasn't picking up calls or like staying in contact with us. It was more like, Oh, it's so good to see you. Like let's hang out and spend time together. And like, I 
personally, like, I didn't want to have a go at him for being like, mm. you know, fucking pick your phone up, mate, or oh, fuck. anything <laughs> like that. Like, I've had a lot of experience, like, with myself and other people, like, with depression and, you know, emotional pain in general. So, like, I was always very empathetic towards Danny and just, um, I guess... It's hard to remember at the time. I don't mm. think I really thought about, um, like, it's so hard to, as empathetic as you can be, to actually know what someone else is feeling and to really dig deep into it because so quickly you become, like, overwhelmed with your own, um, your own stuff, mm. I guess. So I think it was, like... Um, I knew Dan was struggling and would kind of try to make as much effort as possible to, uh, you know, talk to him and hang out, but we would never actually speak specifically about him struggling, which, like, in hindsight is something that I think we all, um, at least um, myself and I think probably some of the other boys as well think... um, potentially could have uh, pressed Dan more, like encourage him maybe to speak to us more or to, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think he was seeing a therapist or a counsellor mm. for quite a while at that time. So you kind of, I guess, you look at that and you're like, okay, he's like making a, you know, a determined effort to try and cope with life as best as he can and, you know, you kind of trust that seeing a professional will hopefully help. And I saw it, like, as my role as a friend just to to sort of carry on um, without really acknowledging that in a way, which sounds like, like, when I speak about it now, sounds like a bit of a uh, an oversight as a friend to sort of ignore um, something that is, like, quite obvious, but in a way it's sort of trying to shift the focus onto uh, the friendship, I guess. Um, Yeah. That's, look, yeah, you and I know as well as each other what it's like to go through that experience with with Dan. I think, yeah, he was his own person Mm. and rightly or wrongly, I don't really think any amount of intervention from us was going to change his change his course in life. I think the yeah. one of the reasons why I want to have this conversation though is to sort of change the dialogue around yeah around these conversations and around how we do process emotions and how we do process things. Cause yeah, I, yeah I, I barely know what happened for you afterwards. I know that I called you. I remember that was the yeah. when it happened. I was the, the um, and I guess this is the point where. We should probably tell everyone who's listening that, yeah, Dan took his own life on um, the 23rd of February, mm. 2018. Um, to the shock of us all, um, mm. still five years later, I don't know what it's like for you, but I still wake up some mornings and I'm like, fuck, that actually happened. I still expect him to come barefoot yeah. around the corner. Yes, yeah, short, <laughs> in shorts and a T-shirt yeah, in the middle of yeah. winter and go swimming with me in Bondi. Um, mm. But alas, his journey was a little different than, than the rest of us. But w- I guess what, 
What was it like from your perspective when I when I made that? I was on the way to the airport in Melbourne at the time with Ash. And, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I wanted mm. to be the one that told you. Mm. What was it like receiving that call? Yeah, man, it was very surreal. Um, I can still remember. Um, I can picture. It was like a quite a nice sunny afternoon mm. in Wollongong. I was home alone at the time, and I think I was outside and hanging out some washing. And I might have even missed your call the first time, mm. I think, and then I called you back. I feel like I have a bit of a memory of that. Anyway, um, <clears throat> yeah, when you told me and it was like pretty pretty brief and direct, which is understandable. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know how you would go about saying that. Oh, man. And yeah, yeah man, it would have been like, oh, yeah, it's, it's just very surreal even talking about it now it's very surreal and i remember yeah we, we spoke for however long and um i just was in a fair bit of shock i think you would recognize it as that a bit of disbelief mm. and um bit of denial yeah i think so and i actually was like i called um there was home alone i was living with dukes at the time mm. and ruth i think was living with us as well and they were out bushwalking and I tried to call them and um, I couldn't get onto them. And so I'm kind of stewing in my own like thoughts, like, um, like Max just told me Dan's passed away. Um, and I was like, did that, like, did that actually happen? Oh, did dude. I just imagine this whole thing? And oh, like, I'm home alone, like I'd, I'd probably just gotten high not not long ago as well so i'm like i called eventually got onto them and i remember telling uh those guys and i could hear they're having like a bushwalk they're having a, an amazing time and i guess telling them and hearing it kind of register with them and the, the change in tone and atmosphere and yeah man it was uh very surreal day i remember it pretty pretty clearly i don't really know what i was thinking i think just very shocked and um i think the sadness and all that kind of thing didn't really hit until you know a couple of days later or maybe until we came up to sydney i don't know if it was that day or um maybe the next day i think we stayed in wollongong that afternoon mm -hmm. um remember going down to the beach and just sort of sitting there like just kind of stunned silence mm. sort of thing and and I probably at that point like started it started registering a bit more but like probably when we got to Sydney and we went up to Tobes's and um Tobes obviously who found Dan um had an incredibly like traumatic experience mm. seeing a mate who's just killed themselves um can only imagine what that would be like and he was like pretty distraught and it sort of at that point just kind of sunk in a bit more i guess and yeah just um great sorrow i guess man like and still, like, a feeling of, like, I felt so sad for him that he would have to mm. 
feel like that, that that was the only option. Like, to me, that's just, like, I I don't feel sad for myself that I don't get to spend time with him. Like, I think whether fortunately or unfortunately, like now, I guess I've dealt with it enough where it's like um, I've gotten used to Dan not being mm. around. So, but it's just like, I guess it, great sadness for him to have lived so silently in in that pain and for it to become so overwhelming for him like it's just um yeah it's heartbreaking really that someone has to to feel like that and and live like that and that that becomes the only option for them it's just so yeah so sad for him man and yeah, I think yeah. that I think you said it perfectly there. So silently, mm. I, I, yeah, I give Dan his life in the sense that we have to allow each other our own journey. And as hard as it has been for all of us left behind, I think for me it's acknowledging his own that he was his it was his life and he, yeah. he chose for whatever rightly or wrongly. Um, what what has it been like? What what is it like sitting here now? What's it like going through mm. that that experience again? And, the, and the, I can sort of I can feel it. I can, yeah, I can, I can sense the 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 tension in my own body. Uh, what what's what's it like reliving that experience? Um, it's actually nice. Like I'm really happy to be here talking to you about it. Um, I guess I've kind of relived these things in my own head, mm. but haven't really. Um, relive them with anyone else mm. and definitely not you Maxi before so yeah I guess it's um, yeah like I don't know like I wonder if I'm sort of sitting here wondering if I've actually even processed it or how I have processed it is just sort of compartmentalizing mm. that into a Burying potentially um, because it feels like it feels like a long time ago now. It's sort of it's almost um, like I have these memories and these snapshots of of Dan and spending time with him. It um, it feels like that's so far away from my life and my reality now that um, yeah, I kind of. I don't know. I've, I guess I've moved on to a degree that you. Yeah, I don't know, Max. It's sort of. On, on the one hand, maybe I still feel a bit detached, or like it's still kind of surreal as well. Um, I sort of try not to evaluate or analyze too much how I'm feeling about it, and maybe kind of default way of thinking about it is to not think about it <laughs> <laughs> I guess I definitely recognize that for myself like it's just sort of something that's painful or hard to um hard to think about it's just easier to not think about it and I'm quite good at being able to do that so um yeah you and me both <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I think we have to it's like on the one hand it sounds like 
it's uh, pushing it away and um, not dealing with it. But on the other hand, it's it's sort of necessary to to get on with your life and there's no disrespect or anything towards Dan in doing that. I find like there's no, it's not you're forgetting Dan, it's just acknowledging his life and the time you had with him and then being like, at least for me, I'm like, what? I don't need to think about this really like I'll reflect on it and reflect on the good times with Danny but yeah in terms of day to day and I guess I can't imagine as a brother and a mother and a sibling uh, family member for Dan it's completely different I feel because you know, as close as friends are, family is a whole another bond. So I'm sure it's not. Oh, I know it hasn't been as easy for you to just be like, oh, I I accept that and I'll just continue on with my life, like which I feel like I have mm. sort of done. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure if I want to speak about my own experience just yet i might do that in a separate podcast but a separate episode yeah. but um yeah there's a distinct difference being the older brother of someone who takes their own life early on in their own life yeah you know i, I knew dan for 25 years i held him the day he was born mm. um there's a bond there that is yeah that that, that fractured me in the beginning um and I didn't look at it when I should have. Mm-hmm. I tried to bury it, but unfortunately it was it was too big to bury and it bubbled away, mm-hmm. festered away underneath underneath a lot of drugs and mm-hmm. um, underneath a lot of a lot of work and avoidance. And it, yeah, it, it eventually came to a head um, a few years ago and I've since been I think it's important to, to sit with to, to go through the process of of, of the emotions. Yeah, um, and I guess that's. Does it come up for you still? Like, do you still does it like? Do you feel the I, emotions, or do you, or you pushed I, it away a bit? <laughs> no, I do. And one thing I do find, I often dream about Dan. Mm. Like, I don't know if um, other people do, but I'll often have dreams about Dan. And it's actually the best thing, like seeing him in a dream and talking to him. Mm. And uh, yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And I often I wake up from a dream like that and just feel like quite, quite somber and sad and very reflective. Yeah. Thinking about it, um, one of the dreams I had with Dan, um, I kind of remember like. Because it was really strange, like a dream. You're like, um, it's feels so real. But in the dream, I recognized that Dan had been away somewhere, and I was like, "Where have you been, Dan?" And he just kind of smiled at me. Classic. Yeah, yeah. Just sort of like, oh, come on, you don't need to. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You and nailed him there too. Like that's just exactly. He's like, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Just like that beautiful smile. Yeah. Just like. Almost a cheeky, cheeky wink. Yeah. 
You're not going to get anything from me. So just yeah, just enjoy the fact. Yeah, that's right. And I probably like asked him something about why he did it, but again, just sort of yeah, didn't yeah get an answer. Obviously, because it just uh, all created in my yeah. in my dreams. That's right. Your subconscious. But yeah. Um, so yeah, to be honest, like. Um, it's been a while since I've thought about Dan, um, and, you know, we obviously talk about him, uh, with friends and we often laugh, um. Who's that guy? That's what Tobias says. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, totally, like, so, oh, it sounds so mean, but it's like, oh, who's that dickhead? Yeah, no, fuck. And it's like, I guess, (laughs) our way of, yeah. Dealing with it. I don't necessarily feel like that. Like maybe some people have a a, a level of anger or resentment mm. towards him for putting them through. Like in a lot of people see it, not just Dan's act, but suicide is like a selfish mm. act and how it, you know, is so, um, can be so like, make people so distraught like families and stuff but i've kind of never looked at it like that it's just more such a sad sad thing for someone to feel like that so i guess like sadness is a the greatest sort of feeling i have thinking about dan often i'll another time when i think of dan i'm like in the beach or Mm. swimming or like dive under a wave and just sort of imagine doing that with Dan and as well actually I find him quite inspiring like I'm kind of like well Dan would probably do this bushwalk barefoot <laughs> so I'm sure I can like push on and keep doing it or like if there's something I'm like I'm not sure like whether I should do it or not like something maybe a little adventurous or something I just kind of feel Dan there being like you know if Dan was here with me right now we'd be he'd be already doing it and I'd be trailing behind him um so i find that really really nice like to sort of have him there as an inspiration and a sort of a, a benchmark of like how, i like that a benchmark yeah yeah of like what to to do whether to swim in a cold ocean <laughs> in the middle of winter yeah it's like you know dan would already be in there yeah, so yeah. i guess i'm getting in then yeah, you so never regret a swim, was Dan's. Oh. Dan and I. That's what we used to say in Bondi in the middle of winter. Yeah. Like six in the evening, and it's dark and it's raining. And I'm like, oh, I really feel like a swim. And he's like, you never regret a swim. And <laughs> I think he used to have Tobias's big old Land Cruiser back then. And we'd drive the cruiser down yeah, nice. and jump in North Bondi at like 6 p.m. in the dark. And he'd just swim out past those waves. I'd be like, why do you have no fear? <laughs> like, why do you have no fear? Yeah. I'd be like, in the end, like timidly trying to follow him. If I was near him, I never got afraid. But when I was, he just didn't have any he didn't he didn't have any fear of death he no he um he always maintained it he if he died he was doing what he loved and so that was all that mattered yeah i admire that greatly totally and it's it's such a good inspiration for us Mm. um still here um to be to carry that sort of uh, attitude into even like mundane of things mm. um yeah so yeah i feel like now like 
yeah, when I do think about Dan, um, I miss him greatly, mm. of course. Like, it'd be so good to share um, my life with him now mm. and to keep doing things with him. But, um, yeah, often when I do think of him, it's in those situations of, and feeling inspired and um, encouraged by what what would Dan do? What would Dan do? I like that a lot. Yeah, what yeah. would Dan do? That's a, might have to be a chapter in the book. Yeah. We'll call that what would Dan do. <laughs> um, you said something earlier about about suicide and I thought yeah, it'd be a good thing to reflect on. Um. Because I'm I'm on your I'm on your page with with that. On yeah. It's it's a really painful thing for someone to do for those, as Keanu Reeves said, um, when Pete when die those who are left behind will miss us. Um, and I I think that's yeah that's it really. Like I missed the bugger to pieces. But yeah, getting caught in the idea that it was the wrong thing for me I, it's it's too much pain. Mm-hmm. But I I think we have to allow other people their own experience. And look, I've definitely gone through the anger. Did, did you go, was there any anger for you? Did, you? did you go through it? Not really, to be honest. Yeah. And I totally agree with you. Like I get however people um, react is how they react and it's perfectly justifiable to be angry at him or just angry at life in mm. general. I never, yeah, I never really felt that. I think... Yeah, just I'm not like naturally. I don't usually get angry. I'm, I don't know. I'd probably replace it with uh, something else. But um, <laughs> yeah, I just for me, I just felt so sad for him. Yeah, and um, that empathy. Yeah, just like what he must have felt, man, to and to feel so alone. And you know, I think a massive shock of his suicide was like on on paper he seemed to be doing so much better Mm. than um he had say like six to 12 months before that like at that time he was you know seeing bianca obviously and like you know we'd see him regularly and your wedding coming up and or the bucks party the bucks party like and that could be something we could talk about which we often wonder about what kind of impact that the bender d- that to, bender to use it yeah to yeah. use that term i i think about it a lot actually and i'm glad you 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 brought it up cuz i was with him that week like he was in bondi yeah. he he you know sporadically lived with us with with us and i mean um, ashley and i my my now darling ex-wife um and that week yeah it was a, look god i was in a world of hurt myself um after my own Bucks party, and that was the weekend before it, it all happened. He was pretty subdued from my from from memory. Mm. Um, didn't really want to talk. I had dinner with him on the Wednesday night, and then yeah. I had to fly to Melbourne for a wedding um, on the Friday. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, there's some other questions I have, but maybe we'll just. Yeah, we're here now. Let's jump into it. Yeah. So for me, for my yeah. So to, to yeah, yeah, I reflect on it a lot, and I was. I've still got his text messages, and I've read through them a few times, and I, okay. I, I've gone through his phone as well to make sense of it. That it was a seemingly normal week for Dan. 
he was you know, he was in pain. We had a pretty we, we bent we went pretty hard on my bucks. Um, it was like three days up in the, the central coast on a, in a big house and disgusting, disgusting amount debauchery. of debauchery, debauchery. Yeah, we don't need to go into that detail, but it was a lot, and I know it was a lot because Alex, a good friend of mine, reminds me of how much money he spent on the debauchery. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Alex couldn't ask anyone for money <laughs> <No>. because. <laughs> Just after that, we went to a funeral. And yeah, I think he, I think he got hit for about five or six grand worth, oh, of, worth of drugs. So we, um, he, but he, he, he's maintained that that's his, uh, that's his gift to everyone. He doesn't want any money back. Um, but I probably owe him a big bucks if he ever gets, if he ever gets married himself. For sure. Yeah. Um, but we, we digress a little bit. But yeah, Dan, yeah, Dan was definitely, I, I think, at a low point that week. Probably lower than most, most. Yeah. Okay. Um, most of the benders, and I think for Dan knowing what he was going through. I, I didn't know a lot about the the primary sclerosis cholangitis, if I say that correctly. Mm. Forgive me. Um, incorrectly. It was... Yeah, he was told at 14 that he would probably not live till he was... Uh, he, till he was 30. Yeah, right. Um, so I, I, I... It annoys me that Western medicine has that, that sort of absolute attitude that it's like, well, this is our evidence for this and you're 14 this is primary sclerosis uh, sclerosis cholangitis and you probably won't live to 28 mm -hmm. and then going through the experience he went through with with dad i think he formed a very strong view of how he was going to live his life but i wonder if that fucking idiot doctor hadn't told him at 14 that he was going to die when he was 28 whether or not that would have impacted his decisions um again we'll never know but i i, I guess the reason why i bring it up is because i spent months afterwards trying to put together a picture of, of Dan's choices yeah. um, to make sense of it. And then, yeah, I didn't hear from him on Thursday, mm -hmm. but I'm in Melbourne. I'm with Ash and all of our friends and we're going to a wedding in Victoria. We're staying at this amazing hotel called Jackalope down in Mornington. And so we're just having fun. And as you said earlier, Dan went off the radar for sometimes weeks. And so... Yeah, it was nothing out of the ordinary. No. Like we used to, when we are living together... Um, Tobes and I would, you know, we'd all have a big weekend, you know, take some party drugs or whatever. And, um, Tobes and I would know that we would see Dan, he would come out of his room, come to the kitchen, um, stuff his face, like devour a, a chicken and <laughs> pick it, pick it apart piece by piece. <laughs> and, and then the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, bones and all. Bones and all. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was a, always an amazing thing watching Dan uh, destroy a roast chicken, and I, I thought like how much of it he actually ate. Like it's a real, uh, yeah, didn't waste much, Danny. I think he only left the ribs. The, the tough, but the tough bits was like the main carcass, but all those drumsticks and the wings and all the little <laughs> tiny bones and the gristle, everything was yeah, gone. Yeah, if you can, if you can chew it, chew it's, it oh, goes down. Oh, but yeah, it'd be quite common to after a big weekend to really not see Dan for until maybe th late Thursday. Yeah. Maybe yeah, Friday. Exactly. And That's right. So I don't think I spoke to him at all. So I've just jumped into your oh, no, no, go for it. <laughs> version of events. But yeah, I don't think I spoke to him that week. I don't really remember, but yeah, yeah nothing, nothing uncommon about that. But yeah, I often wonder and like, of course, everything that happens is going to impact sure everything. So I have no doubt that that big bender and coming down off whatever drugs he had taken, we had taken, um, would have I feel like played like quite a yeah an 
integral part in his decision making? I don't know. I look. I think there's an element of it. It may be. Um, yeah, it's pretty cold in here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any heating in this little studio in Potts Point. Um, I've <laughs> tried to maintain a energy lower en- low energy use, <laughs> which is freezing at times. Um, but yeah, I, I think it would have. I think it may have impacted it. I, I maybe not. But looking, at, I haven't had a chance yet to read the journals, but Mum's read some of the journals. Yeah, okay. Um, and I've read, I've read his phone at least. I think. That, it was always his plan. Um, he was quite resolute about it in his in his journals. Um, yeah, can you, like, I don't know anything about his journals really. Do you feel like I I don't know? I look. I I it's it's funny you say that because I was just thinking today, reflecting today. It's it's I I probably got the 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 strength to read through them myself for this process. Yeah. Um. So I've only got anecdotes from 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 dearest mum. Yeah. Um. Julie has read. Them all, of course. Like she, she's done as much her investigation, and we've had long conversations. And so it'll be an interesting podcast next week when we do an interesting episode when we do that next week. Yeah. So it'll be a big deep dive into that. But he he talked about death a lot in his in his yeah, in his okay. journals, yeah. um, and going through his phone, there's a there's a really distinct moment where it becomes quite obvious that something's changed. But the odd mm. thing is that week. I looked through his phone and man, on an iPhone, you can find out so much information about a person. Like I think he thought that he was like hiding it, but if you know where to look, you, I can. I saw his movements. I saw all of the towers that he pinged. I saw where he drove. Yeah, right. Like I saw all his text messages. I saw what he what he was searching on his Google history. Mm. Like I went through his emails. I went through his credit card statements. Like I saw his whole life, and he was paying for. He paid for his Opal ticket. He paid for his. Te- he paid for his prepaid Telstra. He was talking to some friends about catching up. Mm. He was at my place on the Thursday night by himself ordering dinner and I think he was playing Grand Theft Auto on the PlayStation and he was, you know, looking up different things on the internet about, you know, missions and things like going through reviews. Yeah. There was some fun. I'm not actually going to put that in the... Yeah, it was some some funny ones which I'll tell you later, but then I need to go in this. Yeah. That's Dan's little story. But, you know, <laughs> he was searching, he was playing around, he was mucking around. He's on the PlayStation, he's paying for bus tickets, He's organising things with friends. There's no evidence that he is not shutting down. He, has, he hasn't thought about it yeah. in that moment. But then that next morning, there's there's no movement on his phone. Like you can actually see on the phone the step counter mm. and there's no step counting on the, the Thursday night, like a couple little ones where I think he goes down to get takeaway. Like he picks yep. up delivery probably back then. And then on the Friday morning, there's a big bit of movement and his phone pings on a number of towers and he goes to Newtown. I figure out that he goes to Newtown and then on his search mm. history, he starts searching all these drugs, all these prescription drugs and now um, he's in a drawer of a friend of ours and I, I, I won't yeah. name that friend just yet. I'll let them do that. But he's going through the medications and he's trying to find out the overdose. So is he... He's making. He's searching while he's there. while he's there. It's, it's like eight a.m., nine a.m. These searches wow. on Friday morning. Yeah. Um. And then he finds the oxycontin. Mm. Um. And then there's movement again, and he's back in Bondi, and his tower. He's the thing. There's a tower in North Bondi and, or Dover Heights, I think, and it pings. And then there's no movement on his phone, mm. and 
from my uncle, there was a packet of OxyContin and a bottle of red wine and a joint on my kitchen table in Bondi. Yeah. And so he's on that Friday at some point. Yeah. We don't know. We know in the coroner, like from the coroner's report that it was on the Friday. Okay. That he that he'd, it had been within 12 hours or 24 hours when Tobias found it. Yeah, which was Saturday morning. Saturday morning. morning. Yeah. Yeah, so... And I like the, the the tragic thing in my phone. My actual my last message to Dan is, "Hey Dos, are you alive?" Mm. And that's on the Friday at eleven. And that's the that the, that's the bit that breaks my heart the most because the one before that is, "Oh, dude, we've got to stitch up Woody." He told Sai about the Bucks party. <laughs> Fucking Woody he told, told Sai about all the like all the detail of the Bucks party. Yeah, because so, we all swore not to tell anyone. But I was like st- trying to stitch up, like trying to have a laugh with him because I knew he was pretty pretty down. He was pretty tired. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the last message I ever sent to him is, "Hey Dos, are you?" Um, but it was Bianca who called me on the Friday night who couldn't get hold of me. Yeah. And I was at the wedding and I was like, look, I don't think it's safe for you to climb up the, the balcony. And thank God she didn't. Yeah. But I said, look, you know, Dan, what Dan's like, he probably, he's just tired and he's shut down and he'll call you later. Mm. Um, but it's, to, yeah, Tobias calls me on Saturday morning. And that's when I started to think that was a bit weird because Dan never didn't turn up to the markets. No, and he wouldn't, yeah, he wouldn't just disappear. Not like, turn up. No, he, like he would not. He would shut down and disappear. But if he would, if he was said that he was going to work, yeah, he definitely he generally showed up or at least told you that he wasn't going to. Yeah. Um. So I didn't want to believe that something was up. But when Tobias didn't call me back, because I actually mm. said to Tobias, "Dude, just climb up the balcony and tell him to wake up and tell the dickhead to get out of bed." Mm. And that was I didn't hear from Tobias. Um, Alexander called me actually. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Because I think Tobes called. Alexander. Alexander. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I've spent a long time doing what you were doing, saying what you are sorry, reflecting on that. Could I have done more? Should I have done more? And in my experience, knowing my brother as well as I do, no, there's nothing we could have done. Mm. He, 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 was, he, he was resolute in that decision, as painful as it is. And yeah. people will be angry at that. Um, people will be sad at that. People will be in denial about that. Um, I went through all of those emotions. I had to go through the anger because I repressed it and yeah. I had to get angry at him. And Fuck me, I swore my little head off at him. But um, I've come to a peace with it now. And I, I run with him like you do. Like you, you know, you, when I'm out for a run, sometimes I – you'll get this more than anyone, but I'll be running. I'll be like, all right, Dan, you can run for today. I'm, I'm all right. You just – you take over. And I don't know what happens, like some metaphysical shit in my body, but it just – he just takes over. And yeah. I'll be like, just run as far as you like. And I'll have this great energy and I'll be running along, running along. And then it will suddenly stop. And I'll be like, oh, man, I'm like 10Ks from home. And I'll have to run home. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> he's he, runs, he runs me out like 10Ks, like 12Ks. So I'm going to run like 22Ks that day. Yeah. I've gone to Piemont, like to the Google offices in Piemont. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome, Dan. We're going to run home hard. And then I get to back to Darling Harbour and he's gone. And I'm like, oh, this is just me now. <laughs> and he comes back to like the last hill. Like there's, this, there's the hill coming up, Potts Point. It's yeah. like kilometer and a half of just solid straight hill and i just pretend to be like a urukai from the um, lord of the rings oh, yeah, and nice. it's like you know no pain you know no fear you want a urukai <laughs> and like sprint up this hill <laughs> with a couple of hobbits with a couple of hobbits that's right just yeah. ooh, ooh, see, breathing with, i'm sure there's people in pots point freaking out at me like making these sort of that's a good i'm gonna try that next time i'm doing some hard physical work to be like i'm gonna pretend i'm a an Urukai. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. You think <laughs> yeah. you're the, the invincible sort of elvish, more, uh, what, what were they like? They were like, they, didn't Sauron make them from the... Yeah, from the elves, from right? The elves, the like, dead elves. He brought them back to life and turned them into these powerful fucking 
yeah. killing machines. But we always, I always love, it's funny, you know, you always love the heroes in Lord of the Rings. But there was something about that the the Urukai that Dan and I always loved, like that those scenes when they're running through the forest and there's yeah. just like the camera angles are so brilliant and the sound effects and there's just these big dudes like the uh, the warrior thing always inspired Dan. We we I don't know about you, but yeah, your experience with Dan. What, what totally man? Like he fucking loved Gladiator. Yeah, um, Lord of the Rings. Like yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, as we sort of think of him now as a gentle warrior yeah um totally like and i I don't know maybe comes from you know the sacrifices dan had to make as a kid potentially to Mm. to be that warrior for for his father for cole and and that sort of dan was always incredibly um self-sacrificing for other people and like that kind of warrior spirit um of yeah, you know, Dan would do anything for you, um, yeah, at, at any time. And Without question. Yeah, absolutely. And no matter like, how insane or ridiculous or arduous. No, and he'd be fully behind you and support you. Yeah. 100%. And, um, yeah, uh, that's another – it's really good to, to talk about it, Max, like just to, to remember all these great qualities – about Dan, like it is. Uh, I find it's all too easy to um to forget, you know, if you don't reflect and mm. and think about him and um yeah, loved Gladiator, um that genre of Vikings was another one. Yeah, the Netflix series. Yeah. Oh man, we loved that one. That oh. was a. The, the, I think the Vikings were one of his favorites. I don't know if yeah, right. Uh, he like obviously Gladiator. All-time classic, Ra- yeah. Russell Crowe, Yaquin Phoenix, one of the best, the best <laughs> sort of, the best relate like one of the best uh, antagonist is Yaquin Phoenix, mm, plays so such good. a creepy role over the the emperor, slimy, yeah, me? slimy, isn't <laughs> it? <laughs> the, the, the hero of Crowe, yeah. it's like, what is it? I am Maximus Meridius Decimus. <laughs> I am father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife. <laughs> I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. <laughs> it's like it's just such a heroic kind of yeah. thing. Um, but Dan, Dan wasn't violent though. Oh, he, like, he definitely wanted to. He, I've, we've fought, play fought for a lot, but he wouldn't hurt a fly. No, no, such a, a gentle, kind soul. But yeah, uh, such a valiant, noble <sighs> warrior at the same time. Yeah, good. Yeah, good adjectives. Yeah, adjectives. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. I don't know what else to. Uh, to really say about that but it's it's nice to remember those qualities about Dan um well I think I think too often in, in experiences like this you can put these sort of parentheses around the end of it like the the, the death the funeral and then the subsequent sort of pain that we all went through mm. but I think we need to extend that to his whole life and yeah while it was short the parentheses of his life are that from the beginning he was always just such an exuberant for me, for my experience, <laughs> you know, he was this. From the beginning, he was this little redhead, and I've got some photos, and I'll, I'll, I'll one day post them somewhere. But he's in a pink skivvy, coloured tights, and he's got this curly, afro, red hair that just comes out past his shoulders, and he's just yeah. running around with a smile on his face. And I've wanted to be around that infectious little kid since the beginning. And um, I think what you said earlier about 
you know, about his qualities. I think what what I've learned in my in my own experience, in my recovery, in my own therapy, and I've done I've done many different modalities over the last few years to kind of come to, to some equanimity in my own experience. Um, we can't see in others what we don't see in ourselves, and I think that's what mm. I really want to get across today. Is that while Dan was the embodiment of of these of these traits that the gentle warrior in us in, a, in each of us and all of us and the, the friends and the people we spend time with we, we embody them all mm. and i think that's why we st- we've stayed friends throughout it all like it hasn't fractured us no in fact it's brought us all a bit closer in a way yeah and i think in it's only dan's life is only a tragedy if we let it be a tragedy and i think there's a beautiful story to be told mm. from his life and from our fr- and from the friendships and for the subsequent i guess shared experiences and i know God, I remember we were in Stanmore when I'm not sure if you were in Stanmore, but when the, the family, my family, we all got together and there was friends and family, and then we all went to Manly, mm. and we had the funeral, and it wasn't, it was yeah, somber is the good word you used, yeah, and we all spoke beautifully. I'd love to actually get someone mentioned. Who was I talking to? Maybe it was Florencia was talking yeah. about your speech, your tribute. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'd love to, to if you're open to it. Um, yeah, we'll do it as a separate. We'll just, I'll just, we'll just record it. Yeah, sure. And we might just add it in. Because I'm going to do mine as well. Yeah, um, nice. And well. I, I, I can't remember yours, actually, to be honest. I can barely remember my own. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Do you have it somewhere, do you think? Or? No. No, okay. So we'll or, I think I had it on, like, notes, so potentially. Potentially. Well, if, if it's there, we'll, we'll, we'll record. Otherwise, it's, we'll just let it. I think I remember. Be. I definitely remember the, the yum. The, the gist? The gist of it. So. <laughs> Maybe we could write it out again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that'd be good, man. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, it was a, like, a very galvanizing time mm. for um, us as friends and to, like, the time we spent together after Dan's death, like, was, yeah, I just, that's one thing I'll always remember, just the time with friends and, really spent so much more time together than we would have um, if that hadn't have happened. Yeah. And, like, similarly with your friends who I or, like, some of them I was closer with already, but then some of the guys that live, like, interstate or up north or whatever and just, like, spending more time with them and, like, just feeling that love and support of the, the community, the network, your family... Um, your cousins, your like, there's like bonds there that were mm. created that would never have been created otherwise, and they're kind of lifetime, lifetime bonds. Which yeah, when you think about, um, yeah, like you were saying before, the parentheses and we're outside the bracket now, and but the yeah, Dan still kind of his legacy was created in those bonds that weren't necessarily there before but were created through his death and that's like pretty amazing. Yeah, and I think in a, in a, in a world where we're, we're a bit disparate at the moment with everything that's going on, there's a lot of... Oh look, fuck, not getting into politics, but just you look at the, what this... Yeah, there's, there's a lot of shit going on. But when I look back at those days and I just think about the simplicity of way, the way Dan saw the world, it was like just love and be loved and yeah, be honest and be disciplined and 
don't don't lie to yourself and then you won't lie to others and just show up when you need to show up. Yeah. And I, you know, I always to say like, you not be, he wasn't, I, I look, I'm the antithesis of Dan, well, I was at the time. I'm, I'm, I'm learning to come into my own authenticity with it. But yeah, he was not dramatic. And my, my experience of life, I came, my, I had to be dramatic at times. That was just my, my role. And I remember I would go on these long sort of dr- droning rants in the car when we would drive and I could, I could rant well. Um, well into the hours of of a car trip, and I remember I'd finish it. I'd look at Dan, and Dan would just be like, he'd either just give me this shrug, or he'd be like, <laughs> give me that sort of like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I'd <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, I'm I'm pretty much full of shit. Hey, <laughs> just like just get, just get over yourself, dude. Yeah, yeah. He and would just sort of be like that. Like in some ways, Dan kind of lived on a deeper level, man. Dude, like the deeper substrate, yeah, for sure. Was, like the. Uh, the uh, superficialities of life that we all get caught up in sort of didn't really, yeah, affect him in some ways. Well, it would have affected him. I don't know. Well, he wouldn't, you know, like get involved in things. He didn't really care about like, you know, he wouldn't, like you're saying, like if you were having a rant or having a bitch or something to Dan, <laughs> he wouldn't like you know, start joining in. Yeah. He'd just kind of he'd be polite and support you and listen. Yeah. But like... Just sort of, you wouldn't get much back. You're like, yeah. okay, maybe we should, yeah. yeah. Maybe um, we should exit this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Maybe uh, I'm just hurting myself here. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's like such a, like, uh, such a beautiful gift in a way yeah. to sort of like be responsive and receptive like that. Yeah. Yeah, and he wasn't ignoring you either. That's the beautiful thing, I think. No. That's what I, in my own, I guess, my own meditation practice, one of the things that I, anchor myself with because it's hard and as you know it's mm. doing it like I did an hour and a half this morning and that really hurt like, to stay that focused but I think the reason why I do it and the main reason is to is to is to have to train myself to stay focused to be in the moment to be yeah. present when I'm needed and not to be thinking about myself and mm. I think yeah I spent a I spent a big chunk of the last few years thinking about myself my own pain my own experience and I think it's really good to have this conversation and talk about Dan because I'm like, fuck yeah, that's right. That's what it's about. Like Dan's, he just showed up, he gave you his attention, he gave you his love mm. and he ha- had no judgment about it at all. No. And I think that's such a beautiful little, such a, such a beautiful message, that, that energy. I can feel it now actually, instead of just sitting here going, Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> sitting right. That's right. Here on the couch. He doesn't need like, a microphone because he wouldn't speak anyway. Yeah. So. <laughs> exactly. He's like, just like you. Yeah. You dickheads. You did, you know, that's jabber right. on about whatever you're gonna. Yeah. Jabber life, on the universe about. and Dan. <laughs> but I. Yeah, I guess that's that's sort of my. I like your word galvanized. Because that's my my goal. With these, is yeah, just to share the experience of, of what you went through, and yeah. I, I really appreciate you sharing that because i can't kind of it's not easy to mm. to talk about it but i want to change that as well like let's talk about these things for sure let's not do it alone because i think look maybe that yeah maybe it wasn't it won't be dan's dan's life that we change but certainly there are other people going through some pain in, in our friendship group and i've gone through it at times and i feel i felt ashamed to reach out at times mm. um i don't know why i don't know no it's weird it's like you don't want to ashamed like for them do you think or like ashamed because or that i'm a burden probably i feel the same way as dan or that i haven't got my shit together yeah okay for like for yourself yeah wanting to reach out reach out like yeah 
having a bad day. Yeah, well, I'm okay. not going to call anyone because I can deal with this myself. And while yeah. I guess I can deal with it myself, it's probably not the worst thing to call and say, hey, I'm having a bit of a head spin yeah. right now. Yeah, man, because that, that can just be the circuit break you need yeah. like just to even start that conversation by saying that, like you get out of your head and like the most menial thing can be a circuit breaker to like, yeah, sort of bring you bring you out of whatever stew you're yeah, stew. swirling around in. Oh man, I'm, I'm making a stew and then I'm pouring in another one on top of it. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm destroying both the, the, my old stew and the new stew. I'm yeah. overcomplicating things. <laughs> swimming around, yeah. Yeah, but um, why don't we end it there? I feel like that's a, yeah. that's a natural little spot there. Beautiful, that was beautiful, Maxi. Yeah, that no. was great. That was really cool. Yeah. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was great. Bit of a trip. It was an hour and twenty minutes. <laughs> How do you feel? I feel good. Like I felt pretty. Um, I don't know. Maybe a bit nervous or yeah, the beginning. A bit, um, unsure. But um, yeah, I, f- I think it was really nice yeah, to really talk nice. to you and to remember. Like for me, just to remember all the things I loved about Dan. Yeah. Um, it's a really nice reminder and I also feel that feeling of like wanting to be like it's so easy to to put off that phone call even just to catch up with someone yeah to reach out you're like oh we haven't seen each other for this long or whatever or like just to make that bit of extra effort yeah to to reconnect with people is yeah really important so yeah, thanks, Maxi. Pleasure. Yeah, well, thanks, Pleasure man. Pleasure to be here. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I appreciate your honesty, and I, I really appreciate your experience. And I love those. I love those ideas about Dan and yourself. And I, yeah, good luck with the with with your own practice. I um yeah, thanks, man. Bali's in a few months. Um, yeah, quietly shitting myself. I've, <laughs> I've done a few three hour meditations over the last few months, and yeah, nice. Uh, I, the, the thought of eight hours a day for six days straight is um. Terrifying and exciting. But, uh, it's really exciting, Maxim. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, good. It'll be man. Well, my partner also it. introduced me to them, so it's um, yeah, it's it's good to have a, a woman pushing you through these things. Definitely. Sometimes you need it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, We're lucky, lucky man to have them. Yeah, man, we are very lucky, very fortunate, very privileged in life. Um, but thank you, dude. Lots, of, love you lots. Love you too, Max. Cheers, Pleasure. Man.